Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. is we hello steph hello arkin it's us and welcome to you out there to set phasers a highly illogical star trek podcast you have come to a wonderful wonderful terrifying time in season one of star <laughs> trek discovery it's only getting worse it's mm-hmm. only getting more intense yep oh man building that tension the tension builds we're getting a lot of psychological stuff we're getting a lot of mm. emotional stuff we're getting a lot of very weird, sciencey, weird science. Oh, a lot of what? Sorry, sciencey, weird science. Weird sciencey, weird science. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a technical term. Yep. Yeah. A uh, star date today is one zero eight one four point eight, and we will be discussing episodes seven and eight of season one of Star Trek Discovery. Their names, respectively, are <clears throat> "Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad" and the much happier, Sivis Pachum Parabellum. Ah, oh, yes, the Latin. There's something about war. Yeah if, you, yeah, if you want peace, get ready for war. Thank you, that's the one. I knew that. Uh-huh. Excellent. You got, you got most mm-hmm. of it. So, you know, you. you got the important parts. Well, Aki, shall we uh, kick it off with our rundown? Let's run it down. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? Yep, that's my finest moment. It's probably never going to get better than that. How could it? It's brilliant. It can't. Yep. It's perfect. It's the right amount of funk and the Mm. right amount of short. (laughs) Whatever that means. Okay. Let's do it. Time to run this thing down. I'm going to do my best. Are you ready? I'm, I'm getting comfy. Okay, so. This is a long one. So, episode seven. We're going to start with episode seven. It's called Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. And it is that. Uh, This is one, uh, well, you know what? Hey, let's just get into it. There's no cold open. So we basically begin with Michael uh, doing sort of an officer log saying, you know, everyone's fitting in. Things are developing routine. She's got friends. Yep. She's developing perhaps some feelings for young Tyler. Uh, but she's worried that her history of uh, relationships, which is uh, has been hinted at as being somewhat uh, complex, may be uh, thwarting her in building true relationships. Nonetheless, she is uh, screwing her courage to the sticking place as she arrives uh, to the forward deck because it's time to go to a party. It's a true party. This yeah. is one of the few, I think, Star Trek franchises where they're like oh there's a party on on whatever and you go in and you're like this is a party did it strike you as odd the music they were using i thought it was great well first of all 1997 i was listening to that right was it jazzy jeff 
No, that was Wyclef Jean from okay. his his breakout first solo project. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it was that was the song that featured the rest of uh, the the Fugees, but it samples "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Mm. So you really you're getting the best That's of both it. worlds. I was thinking about this this yep. week because we don't dance to classical music per se. I mean, there's some formal dances you can do to classical music. You know, you're some ballroom dancing. But we still, like, that's still a celebratory yep. music. I just thought it was interesting that, like, 150, 200 years in the future. They're throwing it back that far. That they, that maybe, they're like, what's the best era for, like, young people getting down? And it's this stuff. Mm. Because if, you know, music in other tracks does not inspire dancing. We've not really seen a party like that before with, like, young people, as you say, getting down. No. They well, some the original series had some moments where people were supposed to be having a good time, but it's very weird. Mm. And of course, anytime I see people partying, I think of Riker trying to play his trombone on Ten Forward, and I just I feel like <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, anyway, it's a real party. It's like a '90s party up in there. They are they have like little lay necklaces kind of things they're giving, and they're drinking out of like fake plastic cups and Tilly has her hair down and Tilly is like in full party mode. And uh, yes, they're listening to <laughs> the Fugees. Uh, in, any, in any case, there's a, I mean, this will become important later, foreshadowing. There's a power surge as Michael's standing there talking to Tilly and Tilly's like, you should go talk to Tyler. Boo, power surge. And Tilly's still on this like, you should talk to Tyler and tell him how you feel. And Michael's sort of like, you know, there's redundancies. That shouldn't be happening. In any case, Tyler makes a speech and then he comes over to Michael and he's like, Hey, do you want to dance? And she's sort of like, uh, and then they are called to the bridge. So she's saved by the bell. As Tyler says, they go to the bridge. There's some light teasing by Tyler. Cause I think at this point they sort of, I think he knows that they have chemistry. I think they both know they have chemistry, but I don't know. They've been making eyes over breakfast in the cafeteria. They've been making eyes at each other. This is, is playful teasing. Uh, as they're making their way to uh, to get to the bridge, they run into Paul Stamets uh, and knock over a bunch of stuff that he and Hugh mm-hmm. are carrying, Dr. Colbert. And uh, they apologize, but then Stamets is in this very creepy, good mood. Stamets, uh, ever since he like first connected with the Spore Drive, he has been in this sort of haze. happy yeah. place. Yeah, haze. I, I wrote down that he seems high. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, uh, oh, God, you guys are... Why would you? These are the moments of our lives. I think he actually gives Michael a hug. Yeah, he's like high on his uh, own mushrooms or something. Mm-hmm, he's high on mushrooms, faux show. And he turns to Tyler and he says, "You are a very tall man." Anyway, uh, that happens, and then there's some more awkward I- exchange about uh, Tyler and Michael with Paul Stamets at the center of it. But then they get into the turbolift. They go to the bridge. There is a yellow alert, and uh, thank you yellow alert what they discover is something called a let me consult my notes gormagander yes aka space Space whale whale. big space whale and apparently they're like endangered and they don't mate very often and so it's a incumbent upon star trek starfleet officers to collect them and bring them to like some sort of preserve so they can mate i guess um and Lorca is completely uninterested in this. He, I think uh, Michael, maybe this is not this one. But anyway, Michael's like, okay, let me go handle this because she's the exo, the exobiologist, exo 
philologist. She deals with alien stuff. And uh, she goes down to where they they sort of like transport this giant space whale in and they're looking at it and things are going great and whatever. And she's having a little talk to people. And then um, there's like a weird surge from inside the Gormagander and out mm-hmm. steps a man or a figure really uh, in a like cool space helmet that looks sort of like kind of alieny. Because it's almost like sort of got the one eye thing. Yeah, alien rabbit, yes. sort of. Um, Bit Donnie Darko, maybe. Yeah, Donnie Darko slash The Tick, for those who are complete nerds. This figure starts uh, killing people just indiscriminately with a phaser. Pew, 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 uh, pew, 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 pew. Michael dodges recovers. She alerts the bridge. A red alert is, uh, is not mm-hmm. verbally spoken, but it's up on the screen. It's a red alert. Red alert. And she says there's an intruder. The they try to lock down the intruder from the bridge and eventually do like corner it, and uh, they, you know, Lorcas tries to talk to it and the the intruder starts laughing and removes its mask and it is none other than dun 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 Harcourt Fenton Mud, Rain Wilson reprising his role from an episode mm-hmm. or two ago and he uh, is laughing and he's saying hey. I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to figure out what makes your ship so special. I'm going to sell it to the Klingons. And in the process, I'm going to kill you all as many times as possible. Or or you, specifically Lorca, whom he has some hatred for. He once again mentions his dear, sweet Stella, who he says that Lorca prevented him from ever seeing again by leaving him in that prison ship two episodes ago. And then he clicks a little button. Stella. Stella. A great Shakespeare <laughs> to uh, Tennessee Williams. And then um, the entire ship explodes. So everyone dies. The fire rolls forward into the camera, white out. And then we are back at the party. That's when we realize. Time loop. We're in a time loop episode. Yes. Uh, listen, I normally, in fact, I have to be honest. Most Star Treks, when there's a time loop episode, I'm like, ugh, one of these. But sometimes it's done just right. TNG did it right a bunch of times, and this is this is also excellently done. So we go back to the party, and the same sort of stuff happens, and Michael and Ash get called to the bridge, and as they're walking to the elevator, everything happens, except they do not run into Paul Stamets. Uh, and so they get on the turbulence and then Samus is running down the hall and he's sort of like ranting at them. He's like, no, you gotta, you must listen to me. <laughs> he's doing a whole like, uh, well, listen, I don't like to, I don't want to show all my cards, but I think they really have uh, Stamets being the, uh, the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland who's always worried about yes. time and being late to yep. the castle and so on and so forth. And mm. I think that comes up later in some later episodes, but he's definitely sort of. Uh, prefacing that character here, he runs up and he's, you must listen to me. Uh, we've done this before, blah, 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 blah. And they're sort of like, uh, I think you're not too, too, you're, something's wrong with you. And of course, he had been acting a little weird recently, very, you know, high on his own mushrooms, if you will. And uh, Culber runs up and he's like, I'm sorry, he's ranting. And then Samet says, you got to listen to me. There's, there's no time, or rather there is time, too much time. And of course, that means that no one's going to listen to a thing you're saying, because anytime you say something like that, Cray-cray. Um, Cray-cray. So, uh, he says, uh, uh, and as their doors are closing, he says, it all begins with the Gormagander. And the doors close. Mm. Tyler's like, what's a Gormagander? And Michael says, what's a Gormagander with you? Yeah, what's a Gormagander? <laughs> um, the yeah, they, 
No, it was good. That was really good stuff. Thank uh, <laughs> Were you, like, waiting to do that one? No, just oh. on the spot, just oh, like well, that. There you go. That's improv. Yes, and. <laughs> uh, okay, so they go to the bridge. It's a gormagander. Tyler and uh, Burnham, Michael, freak out, and they're like, oh, mm, 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 but they don't know exactly what to do. And this is when Lorca's like, listen, I don't care. I have to pick this thing up. Michael says, I want to be, I think I should be down there and take charge on this program. And he says, I do not give a damn. Just get it done. And Tyler steps up and he says, I think I should run security on this. And he says, I still don't give a damn. And they both go down. They are looking at the whale. And then weird readings come from it again. But instead of a guy in a weird helmet stepping out, they get a thing that's like a weird transporter feeling. And then... Uh, back on the deck, a black alert is sounded of a sudden, and nobody knows why. And they're locked out of engineering. And so Michael and Tyler run engineering together. The doors are locked, and they're trying to get in, and the doors are open, and who should be in there but Harcourt Fenton Mud drinking behind the uh, console. And he's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's trying to figure out what this whole black alert thing is, and he sort of questions Michael and Tyler, who try to attack him, but he set up a force field or something. Hmm. And he's like, I don't have time. Or, you know, he's pointing at some kind of weird wrist band. weird watchy thing on his Yeah, his weird watchy thing. Uh, and he's bragging and being loud and being a complete jerk. And then uh, he gets shot in the back by Paul Stamets, who says uh, uh, something like, as far as days go, this is a weird one. And then sort of hints at, like, we don't have any time left for me to explain, so I'll see you guys uh, back when we start. And then we go back to the past again. You know, you we're going to keep doing do it every this. time. Why not? Yeah, yeah why not? we discussed sure. this before. A peek behind the curtain. We were like, we should only do one because it happens 4,000 times. But yep. you know what? I'm liking it. So now they're back. This is when I have to consult my notes because I have to know which time we're going back to. Uh, they, oh, you know what I realized? I missed the best part of that second loop is that. Uh, when they're talking in engineering, Michael says, you're mad. And Rain Wilson says, no, I'm mud. Which <laughs> yes, that was that's a good one. so the original series, like goofy cornball, but yeah. I loved it. Um, anyway, okay, so back to the Fuji's playing, back to the party. This time uh, Stamets intervenes, before he finds Michael at the party. And he kind of explains, like, listen, we're on this 30-minute time loop. Uh, I need your 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 help. We've got to stop uh, this guy who's trying to destroy our ship. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Lorca is called away to sickbay for some mysterious reason. And when he gets down there, he is taken hostage by Mud. And Mud's like, I want you to take me to this one place I can't access on your ship. And Mud sort of explains that he's basically done this a couple times. We don't really know how many times at that point. We flash back to Stamets and Michael, and Stamets is telling Michael, listen, the reason that I can figure this out is because of the tardigrade DNA, and I'm outside of time and space, I guess. And and Michael's like, uh, okay. And he's like, listen, I need you to tell me a secret that I can tell you so that we don't have to go through this song and dance every time where I show you that I know that this has happened before. Michael whispers in Stamets' ear, and he responds, I'm sorry. And we're like, hmm, what could it be? Uh... Okay, so we flash back to Mud holding Lorca hostage in his weird, yeah. Whoa, not flashback, flashback. Oh, we're just jumping I... to. Okay. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. If there's a couple extra, no one's gonna sure. mind. Okay. Uh, Mud is uh, basically gloating over Lorca, and he's and he says he explains that he's killed him fifty three times, and then he kills him again, and he says we're going back. 
So Mud kills Lurker for the 54th time. Ship explodes. Back to party. Power surge. Uh, Samus runs in, talks to Michael. She doesn't believe him. He says, you've never been in love. She says, why would you say that to me? He said, because you told me. So now we know Michael's never been in love. Is that a Volcant moment? I guess. Or is it a Michael moment? Oh, I think it's Michael. I think it's a Michael moment. Michael, Michael moment. Michael Burnham's never been in love. Mm-hmm. It's a tragedy. What was the uh, Wyclef Jean song, by the way? Uh, what was that song called? We're trying to stay alive. Americanism. Yeah, we'd be trying to stay alive. Yes. This one. Correct. You carry on. I'll just uh, just keep this on. Okay. Great. So we're back at the party. He says, "You've never been alone." She's like, "What? Why would you say it to me?" He's like, "I told you that I needed to say a thing to you." So he's got her attention. He says, "Like, listen, I haven't been able to figure out a way for this not to end poorly. I think we need to get Tyler." on our side she goes why do you want me to talk to tyler and he's like because tyler likes you baby Mm -hmm. uh and uh, she's like i don't know how to talk to tyler i don't know how to dance and so they have a weird kind of wonderful (laughs) moment where they're just dancing in a hallway and stamus is explaining how he met hugh and how they're just talking about love and it's beautiful i thought that was adorable it was adorable and then they blow up yeah. And then we go, <laughs> yeah. Oh, bye, bye, bye. Yeah. I didn't think I'd get so much work tonight. This is quite good. Well, you know, this is a crazy episode. Mm. Any of the time episodes are crazy. So they're back in the party. And this time, Tyler asked Michael to dance. She says she doesn't have time for that. But then she's like, you know what? Maybe it's a good call. Maybe we should dance. So they dance and they talk about, she mentions uh, mud. And he's like, what? Oh, actually, when they're dancing. Mm. It's Al Green's Love and Happiness. Oh. Anyway, Tilly winks at Michael, which I just love. I just love Tilly in this whole episode and in the next episode, but I'll come to that. Uh, And uh, Michael explains the loop, but they also sort of talk about, uh, he's like, why did Stamets think you should tell me? And she says, well, because I like you. And then they kiss. Anyway, while that's happening, Mud is taking over the bridge hostily and he's like uh, shooting people. And he's got little dark matter pellets, I guess, that he found in um, mm. in Lorca's office. Uh, yeah. And so when Michael and Ash get to the bridge to try and stop him, uh, he throws one of these pellets at Ash, who dies an uh, excruciating death mm. where he dissipates into nothing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and instead of killing more, Stamus decides to admit that he is the key to the spore drive, that he is the pilot, that he has to be jacked in via his new cybernetic uh, implant thing that yep. you made. And that, that's how it works. And then they blow up one more time. It blows up. They blow up one more time. Boom. So everything happens again. They figure things out. Tilly bring Michael brings Tilly on board. And Tilly and Michael decide to explore the Gormagander where they find uh, Mud's ship. They find the time crystal thing, but they realize that the the controller must be on Mud. Um, They know that they're trying to do, that Mud's trying to like extort things to figure out the ship to sell it to the Klingons. And he also wants to kill whatchamacallit, so they wait till the very last minute. And then Michael, because this time I think he's taken over the ship now that he knows about Stamets. Yeah, he's got the secrets he needs and he's going to sell it to the Klingons. And as time is running out, Michael says, you know, we know it would really sweeten the deal for the Klingons. It would be even better than the ship. Me. Yes. I killed Takubma, their their messiah. 
And he's like, ooh, yeah. And then once he, the wheels start working and the, and the, the, the greediness uh, starts to take over, she uh, kills herself with one of the black matter pellets. Yes. And then... Um, he has to well, restart. She has to restart. He has to do it because he needs that money. He's so, so greedy. So one more time, the ship explodes. And we go back again. Oh, we go back again. But then we get like a sweet, sweet... Um, I describe this as like an A-team style style montage. Everything kind of the party and they look at each other and they, mm-hmm. blah, blah, like everything you it see up. it happening because we've seen it a bunch of times. They go to the ship. They do something with the captain. They do this other thing. Anyway, it ends up that mud winds up taking over again and uh, they let him think that he's won and that he's going to take Michael and, and sell her but spare the crew of the Discovery. And uh, he punches something into the chair and he's like, aha, the Klingons are on their way. And as he's taking them down the hall, they sort of reveal that the jig is up. Ha ha ha. You think you got us? It, it's very Scooby-Doo. It's totally Scooby-Doo. It's so Scooby-Doo. Because uh, they're like, you're always talking about your dear sweet Stella. I thought maybe you'd want to see her again. <laughs> and so when they get to the transporter room, who should show up? But Stella and her father, the Baron Grimes. Sure. I don't remember. I Damn. forgot. Sorry. I was so excited. I did not write down the full name. I think it's Baron Grimes. <laughs> I was so excited to write down a team sequence. Anyway, uh, and Stella there and the father is sort of like doting on his daughter. And he's like, I love my daughter and whatever she wants. I want her to have. And she wants Mud to come with her and stay with her. And so Mud is taken off the ship by his dear, sweet Stella. And uh, yes. Never to be heard from again, unless you watch the original season series, in which case you know that he he comes back twice more. Okay, so the epilogue, the last little bit mm. of of episode seven is Tyler and Michael in the turbo lift, and Michael's basically having her volcant moment oh, once again. I volcant. This is when she says she she needs more time. Uh, before she can really get back into the relationship. And Tyler says very cutely that he's just sorry that he won't remember their first kiss. And then there's like a little personal log that Michael has where she says, things are back in the groove and we'll see where things go. And that is the end of Magic to Drive the Sanest Man Ooh. Mad or whatever it's actually called. Whoa! Did you just throw away your papers there? Is that what you did? I'm going to have a sip of tea now. That's right. Oh, I just God. did. I did it. Yeah. Good job. Good run there. That was a hard one to do, actually. There's oh, just boy. so many flashback, flashback, flashback. After last week's with all the fl- with all the memory yeah. flashbacks, I was like, I won't let this, I won't let this happen again. Good job. Uh, are you ready? I am. Moving on to episode eight. Uh, episode yes. eight, Sivas Pachum Parabellum. Actually, I realized as I was rewatching this, it is a perfect title for the episode. Uh, in almost every way. Sivis what? Sivis pachem, par, par, you know, the Latin. If you want peace, Thank prepare you. for war. <laughs> uh, so I've decided to take Steph's advice. And there are two major plot lines here. And I'm just going to do them basically separately. And we'll see how they intertwine as they come together. So let's start with the, the, more, the, the, the more immediate plot line of Discovery. So what be, we begin the episode with Discovery attempting to save the USS Gregarin, which is under attack by some Klingon raiders. Discovery jumps into the area. They're like, ha-ha, we're here. We did this board drive thing. We're so badass. And then a Klingon shit decloaks. 
and starts attacking everything and starts attacking the Gregarin. And Lorca tries to use the Discovery like to block the missiles and help the Gregarin get away, but they only block one missile and the Gregarin is destroyed and their their shields are down to 10%. And so he's like, all right, fine, black alert. Boo-boo. And, uh, you know, Stamets jumps and they jump mm-hmm. away, having lost this battle. Uh, and we remember from the last ep- like last few episodes, it seems like the the Federation is kind of doing better in the war, but this doesn't seem quite good. This seems like they sort of have figured out Discovery's number. Uh, after the jump, uh, Stamets comes out of the tube room where he gets the spore needle. His wee shower room. His wee shower room, yes. And he like staggers a little bit. And then he calls Tilly captain for some mm. very strange reason. And she's like, did you call me captain? He's like, no, what are you, an idiot? And he like lashes out at her. And she's like, oh, what? No. And he kind of storms off. Mm. And I have to say, it's nice to see Stamets is back to his, to his old grumpy self. Yep. Ooh, that stings. It sure does. Uh, Lorca, meanwhile, is getting the rundown from the admiral. He's like, "What's going on here?" And the the one of the admirals, this is you know, yes, the, the the Vulcan admiral, because as you may recall, Admiral Cornwell. Mm-hmm. Did I do it right? Cat Cornwell, yes, Cornwell. Uh, admiral Cornwell was captured uh, at the end of two episodes ago by uh, some rogue houses of Klingons who were working for Cole of House Core. We find out that Cole of House Core has been bringing other houses to the fold by having them like sort of bend the knee to him in order to get the stealth technology that the Ship of the Dead has. So he's been giving out the Ship of the Dead stealth technology and the Vulcan Admiral says, and that means that the mission you're doing at Pavo is even more important. And that secret of all secrets is the B plot line that I'll get to later. Okay, so Meanwhile, on the ship of the dead, Lorel shows up with a huge scar on her face from the time she got shot in the face. But hey, Lorca, remember that? Yep. Uh, and Cole's like, hey, the scar makes your face look better. And she's like, ugh, whatever. I wear it but, with pride or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I wear it with pride because she's badass and he's a patak. Yeah. But uh, we don't need to go into that because she'll break it down later. She basically has to agree to, because she's like from the spy family of the Klingon houses, she's like, I hear you have an an unruly uh, prisoner that refuses to cooperate. Perhaps I could could convince them to give us some information. And uh, so Cole is sort of like, yeah, if you get some information out of this prisoner, we'll let you hang out with us here on the ship and you can get the stealth technology and we'll let you back to the boat, whatever. It's cool. Bygones be bygones. So Laurel is led to the prisoner who turns out to be dun, 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 none other than Admiral Cornwell, Katarina Cornwell, Cat. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, she's left in the room, but the guards are outside and she forces the admiral to pretend that she's being maimed and tortured. And they scream at each other and then the, the guards leave and Laurel says, good, now we can talk. In English. Flashback to Discovery. In English, yeah, because mm. her English is impeccable, yep. as you recall, because she's a spy. Yep. Or whatever is supposed to be English in the Federation. We don't have to go into it. I don't want to get emails. Okay, so um, <laughs> on the Discovery, Tilly, Tilly, 
once Tilly Tilly is killing the game because she confronts Stamets and Samus tries to, to like do the whole bull bully thing and and this uh, this is uh, Tilly time he's like get out of here cadet or yeah. whatever and he's you don't tell me what to do and she just stands there and she's like you're gonna tell me what's going on or we're not gonna move forward and hit him with the Tilly time Tilly don't be silly Tilly space is Tilly, it's your time. You know what? Tilly really shows some 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 guts here, standing up to quite possibly one of the most intimidating, apart from Lorca, one of the most intimidating persons mm. on the ship. I, th- I don't think a lot of people want to be in in get a point blank Stamets blast. Uh, but Stamets uh, basically admits to Tilly that yeah, things are getting weird. The more jumps they do, his head gets jumbled, his mind gets weird. He hasn't told his partner Hugh because if he told Doctor Colbert, Colbert would have to report him, and they would have to stop the experiments. But if he doesn't, if he, if Colbert didn't report him, then he would be court-martialed. So he has to not tell him and keep it secret until he's like, fine, we'll keep it secret. But if you have any issues, you got to come to me right away. Uh, Back to the Klingon ship of the dead. Lorel says, uh, listen, um, I hear that you and Starfleet don't kill all of your prisoners out of out of hand. So I would like to defect because the, quote, Patak, who leads our people now, is garbage. And she is uh, disillusioned with the nascent Klingon empire. It's the houses are finally coming together, but under the wrong leadership, under under craven leadership. And so she wants to defect to Starfleet. And so Laurel and Cornwell stage an escape and they're making their way through the ship. And Laurel's like, I'm what? Do you want mm. to say something? Was it real? Do you think? Her wanting to defect? What did you think? Because like she's a she's an adept spy. We know this. Do you think mm-hmm. she was playing Cat Cornwell, our Admiral? I don't know, but I think I think it was genuine. Because mm. I think barring barring what I know in the future, I do think that she wanted to get off that ship yes and she wants to get away from cole and she wants to get away he's 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 consolidating power mm. even though she thinks of him as sort of like a spineless fool she needs to get out of there and she sees this as her, her ticket to get off you know to get out of the range of his power yep but as they're escaping they are very conveniently found by cole which is why it's so confusing and you know what's it? Because they do exchange like a, I forget what she says. Like she's like, sorry, I had to be you. Or she's, oh, she says, you're not what I expected to yes. Cornwell. And Cornwell says, neither were you. And then they fight each other. And she delivers Cornwell what seems to be a devastating, perhaps death blow. She like throws her up against an electronic panel and she gets electrocuted and she falls out. And there's a long shot on Cornwell. And, uh, and she gets dragged out of the shot. Mm-hmm. She gets dragged out of the shot, you know? We might have to give her a little faith of the heart treatment. Yeah. Admiral Katarina Cornwell, you have immense charisma and insight. You are, at present, the only person who seems to realize that something is very, very wrong with Captain Gabriel Lorca. But you went in search of peace, Civis Pachem, to, uh, to, to try to come up with some truce with the Klingons and instead were betrayed made a prisoner, then told you could escape, and then killed during that escape by the person who said they'd escape you. You had faith of the heart.
she did. Okay. She so died. She died. Um, <laughs> and Laurel says, I will dispose of the body. Because I guess she's trying to, you know, she's like, oh, we weren't trying to escape. She just got out of hand. So I'll just uh, throw this body away. <laughs> she drags um, the body of, of Admiral Cornwell to... I guess the body disposal room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there she discovers uh, all of her former crew. They used to be there with her and Volk and uh, Takuvma. And they've yep. all been brutally slaughtered dismembered and, and dismembered. And... and parts of them have probably been eaten. It's very, it's without honor. Definitely no honor. That said, from a Klingon point of view, I have to say at this moment, I was like, they betrayed Volk and Lorel by going over to Cole just because he brought some food, which to me was kind of effed up when they were trying to go get that dilithium processor or whatever. Yeah, I hear you. It's a good, it's a good point. I'm not saying that their bodies should have been despoiled that way, but, uh, you know, you reap what you sow in the Klingon Empire. Um, so she vows then and there that she will destroy Cole. And, uh, she finds her way back to the bridge and discovers that mm -hmm. her cover has been blown. Uh, Cole never really believed that she was on his side. And she is then taken into custody and imprisoned. And that is the end of the A plot line. That all happened. Discovery and the Klingon ship of the dead. Meanwhile, remember that uh, the Admiral, who was the Vulcan, mentioned the mission in Pavo. Yes. Well, there's an away team on Pavo, and it happens to be Michael, Saru, and Ash Tyler. And they are there apparently because this planet has, like, everything about it vibrates, and they all vibrate in harmony, and there's, like, a sympathetic vibration. And so the whole planet is vibrating, and then there's a huge naturally forming crystalline structure that reaches sort of mm. up into the upper atmosphere and casts this vibration out into space. And they are there to see... It's a bit Jack and the Beanstalk, isn't it? It is very Jack and the Beanstalk, yeah. Well... Very Alice in Wonderland too. I mean, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too into it because it's it's very satisfying. Anyway, they uh, they are there to see if they can use that huge antenna to um, sort of like find a way to help them identify Klingon cloaked ships because it's so powerful they can send like a big. It's sort of like water displacement, but like tachyon particle displacement or something. Right. So they're trying to get to this giant natural transmitter, but because of the interference of all the like the the like the harmonic sort of synergy of the planet, they weren't able to 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 drop in right by the antenna. They had dropped them far away, so they're hiking there. They are um, pleasantly accosted by like big clouds of shiny particles, and Saru attempts to make first contact and believes that he's speaking with an intelligent like creature. Uh, he's not sure what, what creatures they are, but they're like clouds of floating, glittering stuff that sometimes take a humanoid sort of form, but sometimes it's just clouds. But the clouds lead the away team to a tent. That, to me, was the creepiest part. I was like, why is there a tent here? It was a bit, yeah. And in the tent is like a column of the the bright cloud mm. things. And Saru's like, well, Time for me to do my Saru thing and engage in first contact because Saru speaks four bajillion languages. Uh, yeah, and uh, and also the vibe, the like harmonics of the planet have really been annoying him because he has very sensitive hearing. As a as a creature, the Kelpians are like trained to be wary of predators, and so they're 
you know, they have heightened sight and hearing. And it is mentioned that they can run something like 880 kilometers an hour when being attacked. Yeah. Uh, so she's so Saru's really slowing down to have Michael and Tyler with her with him. So Saru begins to communicate with these the beings in earnest, and Michael and Ash have nothing to do but wait. So they go to sit outside of the tent and they talk about he's like, Hey man, when this war is over, I want to take you to like New Jersey or something. I forget where he says he wants to take her, someplace in America. And he's like, I'm gonna, we're gonna go freshwater fishing and we're gonna eat trout. And make love all night or something like that. He doesn't say that. But that's basically what's on his mind. And she's like, oh, I've never done any of that stuff. And he's like, and she's like, I'm a prisoner. When this war's over, I'll probably go back to jail. Remember how I killed yeah. everyone? Because uh, I'm a mutineer. And he's like, oh, we'll figure something out. And then they kiss here on the planet of Pavo. And it is beautiful. Their second kiss, but sort of their first. Their first, yeah, their first kiss. That and it's in a wonderful, remember. exotic environment. We remember the first kiss because... We're God. Um, so uh, by nightfall, Saru comes out and he's like, listen, I've made some progress, but we're really just beginning to get the language here. And now that we know that the planet itself is sentient, everything is connected, we need to get their permission as Starfleet officers before we can use that antenna to, for our purposes. Mm-hmm. And so he says, hey, we're going to be here for the night. They bed down for the night and they go to sleep in the tent. Uh, Saru is tormented by the loudness of this place and it's, he's like tossing and turning and can't sleep. He gets up, goes outside. It's building. We're sort of like privy to the what it feels like for him, this like crescendoing, troubling sound. And then the weird light particles go into his head and then there's silence. That's always a creepy thing in Star Trek when someone's sort of like taken over. It's never a good thing. Never good. There should be a protocol for that in Starfleet where it's like, hey, did some are floating clouds going into anyway? You're right. There's never it happens so often. Yeah. Is your teammate who was really like upset or angry or something suddenly very happy? <laughs> uh, restrain them. So anyway, the next day uh, they're like, oh, it looks like someone got some sleep. And Saru's like, you know, it really is lovely here. I've been talking to the Pavins and they're totally willing to help us. And Michael and Asher are like, oh, that's great. So they'll do the thing. And he's like, yep, they're totally down. All I need you to do is um, give me your communicators. And they go, oh, okay. And they give him their communicators. And Saru snaps them in half. And he says, we're going to stay here forever. You can't leave. It's a paradise. So deal with it. And he just kind of walks off. He's like super happy. They have no way to communicate. Um, Tyler and Michael have something of an argument here because Tyler's like, listen, he pulls rank on Michael. He's like, guys, we need to get this mission done. Saru is, uh, you know, he's off on, uh, he's on the lamb. He's gone native and we can't trust him. So we need to hatch a plan. You need to get to that crystal structure and hack it. And, and at this point, I think they're just thinking maybe just get a message out to discovery to come get them. Not necessarily do the whole Klingon thing per se, but they need, they won't be, they refuse to be trapped there with Saru forever. Even Saru's like, oh, we're in a land of peace and joy now. Saru, who's never like that. Kind of like uh, Stamets uh, in the last episode. Anyway, I want to, I'm just saying, the themes are, the themes are overrunning. Um, So Ash constructs an elaborate ruse to distract Saru uh, and does like a whole like, oh, yeah, I I want to know what it is like to be joined to the planet. And Saru, he gets Saru talking and Saru, you know, ever the garrulous 
philosophizer starts talking about this and that and blah and blah. And uh, meanwhile, Michael is running for the, the crystalline antenna and she's got her pack on and she's running as fast as she can. And she sets the pack up. Uh, eventually, Saru sees through this and he is not happy and he runs a super duper fast, like gazelle fast, like 80 kilometers per hour fast. Which I found really funny because we know that Doug, uh, forgotten his last name. Oh, no. I have a friend named Doug Jones. Is his name Doug Jones? Thank you. Great. Doug Jones. We know that Doug Jones cannot walk very well in those reverse platforms. So we sort of see this running and it yeah. looks a little bit weird because they've obviously had to engineer it and do some effects to make him look yeah. like he's running super fast. Yeah. There are these shots that you kind of see some feet and he's then like, you see some arms. Like you don't see him running in one one shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's like yeah. just shoulder moving super fast through forest, but he's just booking it to Michael and she's like trying to set up the thing and he arrives before she really gets an uplink and they fight and he throws her and she shoots him, but he's undeterred. Um, yeah, yeah, he like threw a phaser. Um, he, he's like still fighting. Yeah. So they keep fighting in the meantime, the sparkly cloud poppin mist transports, um, Ash to their fight. So Ash is there now. And uh, Saru has, like, destroyed by, like, using, like, over punches, has destroyed the machine that was connected to the crystalline, thinking that that's it. And then they are surrounded by the weird humanoid floating cloud things. And Saru's sort of, like, telling them, like, listen, don't do not do this. Don't do this. And Michael's going the other way. You've got to help us. We're, the Klingons are trying to destroy everything, and you could help us. And then um, something inexplicable really happens, and the the machine being dead, the, the tower lights up. And so, you know, our perception is that, Oh, it worked. Michael convinced them, uh, the Povins to help them. And then they are, the discovery says, Hey, we got you. We have transporter lock. you ready to go. And they're beamed back yeah. up. And Saru is distraught. So he's like beamed up still like on his knees, like, Oh, uh, and, uh, Michael and Saru talking sick bay. And Saru basically admits that like, he's never lived without fear. And this was the first time he had been uh, unfearing of his life. And it was bliss. And he didn't want it to end. And it drove him mad. It was like a drug. Like a drug, yeah. Mm -hmm. So many so many interesting versions of drug being peddled here. Uh, in any case, he's he's ashamed that he almost, uh, he almost put Michael and Ash in danger. And I think he begins to understand that uh, sometimes when you are driven by powerful emotion and uh, you can sometimes make uh, hasty decisions that can lead to uh, stranding your teammates or starting a war with the Klingon Empire. So, you know, he who lives in glass houses dare not throw stones is what I'm saying. I think that Saru is like, you know what, Michael? I'm ashamed and I get where you're coming from. Uh, simpatico. So, simpatico, forgiveness and understanding. That is what we discover in this episode. And then, uh, back on the bridge, we discover that the planet is casting out like this big energy surge, but it's not the surge that they wanted, yeah, to like find Klingon ships. It's like sending out like a subspace message to the Klingon ship of the dead, and it's and it's sort of like inviting them there. And then now we'll jump back to the the other storyline. This is where they intertwine. The Klingons are like, oh, we've got an invitation from the planet Pavo. They want us to meet with Starfleet 
<laughs> we will. But obviously, you know, Cole's going to destroy whoever he meets there. And uh, that is the end. Sivis Pachum Parabellum. You want peace? Well, prepare for war. Indeed. Pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. Good job. I saw Good a lot of comments job. come in. I couldn't read them because I'm literally looking. I'm inundated with notes. You are inundated. <laughs> but I, I hope people enjoyed my attempt to. I throw it. It floated back. Um, I'm not good at throwing paper. <laughs> uh, I can see that. Yeah. You must mm-hmm. try harder. I must try harder. Get more more paper, just if even if you've not written on it, just so it looks effective. Well, that's that would be cool if somebody else was cleaning up the paper. But I feel like then we turn this off and I have to like get down and and I have to put them back in order because I'm, you know, I need everything to be in order. I need to open this folder and be like episode seven and eight. You know, all in a, all in a row. Set phases to stats. I, I didn't have any huge stats. Oh, well, I threw my paper away. <laughs> so there go my figs. There were two yellow alerts. Oh, there were three yellow alerts, two red alerts, and across both episodes, two black Lots alerts, of alerts that I can cool. recall. Mm. Mm-hmm. We had a we had a who died. And and yeah, we had a who died, and we had a Tilly moment. Oh, you know what I did want to say. I wanted to say, it occurred to me, and I also saw a note here uh, that I wrote on a post-it because, as I've said, I'm disorganized because there's a lot to go through, that one of the overarching themes, I think, of the B plot lines of these two episodes, which is is well is being established sort of underneath everything else, is that Sylvia Tilly is in possession of an immense capacity for emotional intelligence. And she utilizes it in ways where, uh, in the quote that Georgiou said to Michael in the will, where she said, uh, take care of yourself, uh, take care of yourself, but moreover, take care of those in your care. Sylvia Tilly is showing some real captain chops. In episode seven, she is the one who's like, Michael, you need to get on this thing with with, with Tyler. There's, you know, this, this tension between you two is not going to be good. She could, She's confronting Michael, who can be very thorny about emotional issues. And then in episode eight, she just, like, steps right up to Stamets, and she's like, something's going on, and it could be destructive, and you need someone yeah. to confide in, and I will be that person for you. Two brave, very brave, and uh, moves that are helping the, yeah. the crew uh, maintain their integrity. I just thought it was important to give a shout out to Sylvia Tilly in mm-hmm. these two episodes. Uh, she is showing her captain chops. We know that she's super smart because she graduated from Starfleet at like 12 or whatever. And she has the, she can do the Gravitron metrics. But we are now seeing that also she's very good with people. Her EQ, in fact. You're right. EQ. EQ. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Sylvia Tilly, you the bomb. Okay. Uh, quotable, quotable moments. moments. Quotable moments. Wait, you know. No, I just sound like that. Wow. That was like, is there an echo in here? I could do it like an echo. We could try that. Ready? Quotable moments. So do you have, I, I didn't have any long quotes as is my, my want because I, I had all the the short quotes. This was a, I thought this was a lot of like pew, 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 pow, pow, pow. But you had a pretty good quote. I had a great one from Harry Mudd. Uh, and so when he thought he was leaving Discovery and he was he'd uh, called the Klingons and he was going to give them Michael Burnham, um, he said, "I never thought I'd be so happy to see those pointy-headed bastards." Poetry. 
pure poetry. And it's good because it's normally the point, you know, like the joke in Star Trek is always the pointy-eared bastards or whatever. Mm, and so yes. it was pointy-headed bastards. Right. And a nod to how they, the Discovery people have yet again sort of changed the appearance of the Klingons. The Klingons have uh, had never had a regular appearance, and I beseech anyone to come for me who wishes to argue otherwise. Kapla. Kapla! I said good day. Shall we? Oh, do you? did you want to come for me? No, no. I, I oh, was okay. just, I wasn't going to come for you. I was just going to say, I think in, you know, is it Voyager and TNG? I don't know about mm-hmm. DS9, but I feel like Klingons, they look kind of similar across those three, no? Sure, but those are all concurrent. Those All those True. shows overlap. Fair. So to pretend that that is somehow a longer era or has carries greater weight is kind of ridiculous. The original series has a different kind of Klingons, and the TNG Klingons are a different kind of Klingons. And hey, the J.J. Abrams movies had a different kind of Klingons, and these are a different kind of Klingons. Deal, yeah, 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 with it. Because we're going back in time. This is pre-TOS. Did you want them to have just, like, guys in brown face with mustaches being Klingons? Kapla is what I'm saying to you. So many sound effects, so little time, Aki. Yes. Wow. This well, this is the debut of Kapla Corner. I usually I usually don't get upset and start talking all out of the side of my neck, but sometimes I gotta just tell it like it is. And and you know what? My door is open if mm. you want to argue. Um, shall we go to next time? I think we should before it all gets out of control. Next time on set phasers okay next time on set phasers we're once again doing two episodes because we are crazy and uh the season three premiere vastly approaches so we will be uh, doing an episodes two episodes that bridge the gap because season one had this long break in it and we'll see you next week but episode nine the end of chapter one of season one is called into the forest Mm -hmm. i go and episode 10, the first episode of uh, chapter two of season one, which also was directed by Jonathan Frakes, is called Despite Yourself. Love John Frakes. Um, and it's some, some very interesting things are going to be happening. <laughs> um, so, jeez. <laughs> All right, you're right. The, I, we gotta, <laughs> this thing's going to go off the rails. So we want to thank you for joining us. If you enjoy the program, you can catch us every Friday at 8 p.m. on Facebook Live or as a podcast that you can download wherever podcasts come from. So please subscribe. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram at Set Phasers Podcast. Feel free to follow us and join in the conversation of all things Trek. And if you want to share things with us on our page, we would love to see what kind of Trek things you're into including arguments about the Klingons. If you want to support us in our continuing mission to discover what Discovery has in store for us, we'd only be delighted. You can patronize us, because we can take it, by going to patreon.com slash setphasers and signing up. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Steph Mans. And I'm Aki Burmese, and this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer. End program. Mm-hmm.